wrestling fans, are you ready? For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This Monday Night Raw! This is Wrestle Rant Radio. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Wrestle Rant Radio for Thursday, March 7, 2019. I am Graham G.S. Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. A mere month out from WrestleMania 35. I think it's exactly one month from today, actually. Sunday, April 7th. 2019. Yours truly will be there in attendance for all the festivities over WrestleMania weekend. I talked about it briefly last week at the start of last week's show, but I will be in attendance for WrestleCon on Saturday, I want to say. WrestleCon Saturday morning, uh, the Ring of Honor New Japan Pro Wrestling G1 Supercard event at Madison Square Garden on Saturday night. Going back to Friday, we'll be at WrestleMania Access on Friday afternoon, and then NXT TakeOver New York that night. WrestleMania on Sunday, and then Raw on Monday night at the Barclays Center. It's a crazy-ass weekend, but I can't wait for it. It's going to be amazing. I was in attendance for WrestleMania 33, and it was one of the best weekends of my life, wrestling or otherwise. It was just absolutely outstanding. Albeit, it will be it will be a bit colder this time around in the New York City area than it was in Orlando two years ago. It's been freezing up here in the Northeast. We had this massive snowstorm back on Monday, and it's just been awful ever since. I was outside for like 20, 30 minutes the other day doing something, and my fingers felt like they were about to fall off. It's that fucking cold up here in the Connecticut, New York, you know, um, northeast area. But like I said, despite the cold weather, it's going to be great. Can't wait for it. So looking forward to road, the road to WrestleMania culminating in exactly one month from today at the MetLife Stadium in Newark, New Jersey with WrestleMania 35. So real quick before we get started here, do want to note this. I talked about it at length last week here on the podcast, but it has since been made official by WWE themselves. WrestleMania 36 will indeed emanate from Tampa, Florida. I think it's the Raymond James Stadium or something along those lines in Tampa. Um, I've actually, I don't know how bad this is, but despite already having my ticket for WrestleMania 35, I'm already looking ahead to WrestleMania 36 because I'm wait, I, I, I just cannot wait to get out of this cold weather. And I love the Northeast, don't get me wrong. We actually seem to have it better than most in the country, at least in my opinion, because you kind of get a little bit of the, the winter cold weather and maybe I'm wrong on this and people will definitely disagree and that's fine Um, but we get some snow we get some great warm weather during the summer and the spring and sometimes in the fall you get a little bit of everything here in Connecticut and in New York and in the northeast area the northeast region of the United States so I'd like to think we have it pretty good up here Um, but it won't be so great when we're walking around with um, warm jackets on in April for WrestleMania weekend but like I said I'm already anticipating being in attendance for WrestleMania 36 that's quite a ways out that's not for another year 13 months um, but it would be nice to be going back to Florida for WrestleMania after being there two years ago for Mania 33 
And I regret, I mean, I didn't have time, so I don't really regret it. But it would have been cool to go to Disney World while I was there. I did end up going a few months later with my family that June. So maybe I'll be back this time with Alexis. We'll see. I have yet to be, I have yet to go back to Disney since they created, um, Toy Story Land or Toy Story World, whatever it's called. And I think Star Wars Land or Star Wars World, whatever it's called, will also be open by that time. So maybe going to Disney first and taking a train ride to uh, Tampa from from there might not be out of the question. So keep tabs on that over the next 12 to 13 months. I'm not exactly sure what my status is for WrestleMania 36 yet. But um, it will be something to keep an eye out for in the next year or so. But this is WrestleRant Radio, guys. Like I said, March 7th, 2019. We are well on the road to WrestleMania 35 if the past week has been any indication. Not quite as exciting of a week as uh, last week, not as many returns. But it was a week filled with amazing in-ring action. Not so much on Raw, but specifically between um, NXT, NXT UK, 205 Live, and SmackDown. So I'll talk all about those marvelous, remarkable matches here in today's show, in addition to a few other news items we'll start off with. But of course, if you guys want to check out full episodes of WrestleRant Radio, you can do so not only on NextDayWrestling.net, but also on iTunes. Simply search up WrestleRant Radio on the Apple Podcast app, rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. You not only get every new episode on Thursdays, you also get every archived episode dating back to October of 2013. Complete steal of a deal, absolute free of charge, of course. So subscribe on iTunes today and listen to the show on all of your favorite streaming podcast platforms. As for me, folks, you can check me out on the socials on the Twitter machine at WrestleRant on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Graham.gsn.matthews and also on YouTube at youtube.com backslash C backslash Graham GSM Matthews. So before we get to the action from Raw, SmackDown, and the like here on today's show, two news items I do want to bring up. Uh, first and foremost, as was confirmed yesterday by WWE.com themselves after the news broke earlier on in that morning, on Wednesday morning from, I believe, PW Insider, Tommaso Ciampa, the current reigning NXT champion, will undergo neck surgery, I think today, on Thursday. So he will be out for a uh, an indefinite period of time. It could be anywhere from six months to 14 months. Now, neck injuries are weird, and I hate to even say this. I hate to be morbid. He's not going to die, obviously. That's not what I mean by morbid. But, like, Paige, I don't know if that... I'm pretty sure that was a neck injury. That was a freak thing. They kind of knew fairly quickly that she would never wrestle again. That came completely out of nowhere and absolutely sucked. Jason Jordan, I think, is a prime example. Um, He's a relatively young guy, very good athlete, very bright feature in WWE, riding high at the time that he got hurt about a year ago. Was not able to compete at WrestleMania. He hasn't wrestled since. He underwent neck surgery, I think, in February of 2018, and has been persona non grata on WWE Raw ever since. I think he's since moved into a behind-the-scenes role ever since SummerSlam. I recently read he's been contributing in creative meetings, which is great that they're utilizing him, but it certainly looks like that his in-ring career may be over. Um, I don't want to say the same thing's going to happen to Ciampa, but I'm way more leery now of like the neck injuries than I was even a few years ago. Because, like, Cena had a neck injury, and he came back within three fucking months. The guy's Superman. Um, His, you know, timetables for returns are just way different than everyone else. The guy's a freak athlete. Tommaso Ciampa might be a different story. But with Ciampa, it's hard to tell how long the guy's going to be out, which really, really sucks. And needless to say, the timing could not have been any worse. Coming at a time where he was set to debut on the main roster, which he technically already did, alongside Johnny Gargano a few weeks ago, 
beating the Revival on Raw, beating the Bar on SmackDown. I went back and watched that Bar match on YouTube. Um, I remember that he was hurt during that match, but it was a knee injury, not a neck thing. So it wasn't like he got hurt in that match. It was actually something completely different. And I read today, and I don't know what the exact source was, so take this with a grain of salt, that WWE knew of Tommaso Ciampa's injury for a while, like even well before he made his main roster debut, which is why they did not acknowledge his past history with Johnny Gargano. I didn't really have, have as much of an issue with Ciampa and Gargano teaming up as some other people did. To me, it only made sense. It's not like Gargano and Ciampa are like, one's a face and one's a heel. They've been both heel now for a few months. They've been teasing an alliance in NXT. They teamed up at halftime heat in early February, so it really wasn't all that random. And they recently reunited on NXT to compete in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. So it's not as if it came out of nowhere. It's not like they just faced each other one-on-one at TakeOver, um, like back in August, and then debuted on the main roster as a tag team. Like, that would be a bit weird. But I guess the idea, according to this report, which again, I forgot what the source was, was that they knew of Tommaso Ciampa's injury, which is why they debuted him in the fashion they did, but they were going to wait until after WrestleMania weekend to get him the surgery. Again, none of this really makes that much sense, because if you knew he was going to be out for an indefinite period of time at some point, probably after WrestleMania in their minds, if this report is to be believed, then why would you even bother debuting him on the main roster? Why not just have him lose the NXT Championship to Johnny Gargano at TakeOver, and then move on from there? You just have him take time off, um, to undergo the next surgery, drop the championship on his way out, and have that be it. The whole main roster thing kind of throws things for a loop. I thought that was a bit weird. Black and Ricochet getting called up, not all that surprising. Black's been in NXT for two years now. Ricochet's been there for a little over a year. I think he could spend some more time in NXT. That's not really that big of a... Um, it's a surprise, but it's not like... I, I think Black was more of a a better fit for the main roster right now than Ricochet, but they seem to be doing just fine for themselves on both brands. Um, as for Ciampa, this is awful. Just absolutely terrible news at a time where he made his main roster debut and was set to culminate a two-year storyline with Johnny Gargano over the NXT Championship. Now, of course, the card is far from being completed, far from being set in stone, but my assumption was that Ciampa and Gargano would face off one-on-one finally at TakeOver in Orlando, um, not Orlando, that's where they were two years ago. I'm still stuck on Florida here, I apologize. A takeover in New York in the Barclays Center, blow off this two-year feud, and um, with, with Gargano culminating with Gargano becoming the new NXT champion. I think that would have been the perfect way to cap off the story. I don't know how they would affect their characters in the main roster. I don't know. If, if both guys are fighting for the NXT championship, but yet still technically a part of the NXT, I don't know how that works. Are still, you know fighting for the NXT Championship, yet appearing in Raw and SmackDown. I don't know how that works, but it would have made the most sense, and I was looking forward to it. They could have given a big stipulation like, you know, Hell in the Cell or something along those lines. Now we'll never know, because Ciampa got hurt. So, it is worth noting he was in action on Wednesday night. Of course, that was taped weeks ago, with him teaming up with fellow DIY partner Johnny Gargano to defeat the Undisputed Era, advancing the semifinals in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. I don't know if that's since been taped. I believe it has been. So I don't know if they win that match or what. I guess we'll find out next Wednesday. But um, And I'll talk more about NXT in a bit. But Ciampa's injury is a real, real downer for a guy that was firing in all cylinders and arguably the best heel in all of wrestling for the past year. The guy's work, body of work has been just tremendous from his matches with Johnny Gargano, the match with Aleister Black, the match with the Velveteen Dream back at TakeOver in Los Angeles over Survivor Series weekend. He's been the, 
you know, one of the members of the NXT roster, uh, the glue, so to speak, that has held that brand together now for such a long time. Not to say that NXT is going to fall apart without him and Gargano. I mean, they've really been the heart and soul of that brand for so long now. It's going to be weird to not see them on the show going forward if Gargano's on the main roster and Ciampa's on uh, on the DL list on the uh, on the shelf with this injury. But again, here is hip, uh, here's wishing him a speedy recovery back to full health. A miraculous recovery at that. I would love to see him back in action before 2019 is over. It's only March, so I mean, it would be amazing to see him back in action by you know, even take over um, Toronto or whatever it might be over SummerSlam weekend in August. I don't know if that's um, realistic or not, but I would love to think so. Ciampa will be missed both in NXT and on the main roster, and here's hoping when he comes back that they can blow off this Gargano-Ciampa storyline the right way. And I was thinking about this the other day. Um, You know, we had something similar happen a few years ago with Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. Now, their feud started back at TakeOver Our Evolution in December of 2014 when uh, Zayn won the NXT Championship, Owens debuted and crashed Owens uh, Zayn's championship celebration, setting up their match for TakeOver Rival that February, which is where Owens beat Zayn to become the new NXT Champion. They had a rematch at TakeOver Unstoppable. Now, before that pay-per-view, two things happened. One, Zayn debuted on Raw, so I don't think he was ever set to beat Owens you know, for the belt anyway. It wasn't like he was going to beat Owens and get the belt back. Um, I think Zayn would have debuted on Raw, gone to Raw, lost the rematch to Owens, and then would have moved on. But he got hurt that night, so he didn't move up to the main roster. They gave that spot to Kevin Owens instead. So Kevin Owens debuted on Raw two days before that takeover. Both guys are fighting it out in a match that, um, you know, featuring two guys that would be gone from NXT in the near future, Zayn on the inactive list, and with Owens moving up to the main roster. He ended up leaving NXT like after TakeOver Brooklyn a few months later. But um, yeah, so it was an interesting situation. And we never actually saw Sami Zayn give Owens his comeuppance until like the following summer. Like well over a year and a half later, Zayn did not return to action until like December. So he came back when immediately, for the most part, he was on NXT for a time when he first came back, but he went almost immediately to the main roster, targeted Kevin Owens. They feuded throughout the spring, and they blew off their feud at Battleground. 2016 had this amazing match of the year candidate, and it was just astounding. It was absolutely an exceptional matchup. And I think we could see something similar with Chomping and Gargano, considering their history, and hopefully people know uh, you know know about their history enough to the point where when uh, Gargano or Ciampa returns, rather, on the main roster. And it would be a different situation because Zayn came back as the babyface, and he had to get his one. He was the one to get his big win over Ciampa. So it's not like Ciampa has to get the big win over Gargano. It's the other way around. And Ciampa's the heel. But, again, this happened a few years ago with Ciampa. Different injury, but it was like an ACL tear. He tore something in his knee. He was out for a while. That happened in May of 2017, the night that he turned on Johnny Gargano. And people were bummed even then, like, oh, how could you blow up this huge story? Like, that would have been an amazing match. It sucks we can't, we won't get to see it, blah, blah, blah. The timing could not have worked out better because it allowed Gargano to get over in Ciampa's absence, become this huge baby face. And then by the time Ciampa came back, they had that great main event that take over New Orleans, that unsanctioned match. They blew the roof off the place. And, of course, the feud didn't end there. Um, but the timing worked out perfectly. Who knows? Maybe Ciampa's injury will work out for the better. I highly doubt it. The injury and the timing here of the injury was atrocious. It really could not have been any worse, considering his, you know, appearances in both NXT and on the main roster in recent weeks. But who knows? Maybe they bring him back and they cap off the feud in perfect fashion 
not in NXT, which would have been ideal, but maybe on the main roster, maybe at SummerSlam or another pay-per-view and Ciampa comes back, Gargano beats him, and then we move on with both guys on separate shows. That is what I would do with Gargano and Ciampa returning. But again, that's all hearsay at this point. That's that's all fantasy booking until we find out what the diagnosis is for Ciampa's in-ring return. So again, as I said earlier, here's wishing him a speedy and miraculous recovery. Would love to see him back in action before the uh, year is over. So moving on from there, do you want to do a bit of a rant on this real quick? Announced for the WWE Hall of Fame, the class of 2019, none other than the extremely established, esteemed, respected, decorated Tory Wilson. Now, I like Tory Wilson, and obviously all that was sarcastic, if you couldn't already tell. Uh, I like Tory Wilson, beautiful girl, did nothing for wrestling. Now, you can argue, oh, she was the face of the women for SmackDown in 2003, 2004. What what women's division? There was no women's division on SmackDown at that point. They were they merely had a female presence on that show. They merely had Wilson and Dawn Marie and girls like that on the show to have a female presence on the brand. And when they were there, it was merely, you know, a bras and panties matches and insane storylines involving Al Wilson, you know, Dawn Marie's father, which is a fairly memorable storyline, but if you really go back and watch it, it was tasteless, it was stupid, it was dumb, like, uh, reality show scripted bullshit, like shit that would never fly today, and uh, I guess for that reason alone, I assume she's being inducted into the Hall of Fame, because beyond that, she's done nothing all that memorable in WWE, now I know she had a run in WCW for a time, She she was with WWE for years, up until leaving in 2008, but again, she didn't accomplish anything, nothing, that's like inducting Ashley Marasa into the Hall of Fame, because she won tough enough, who cares, she sucked, Tori Wilson wasn't that much better, so I thought that was a head-scratching, head-scratching decision, especially when you have all these other women that are waiting to be inducted into the Hall of Fame before her, now thankfully we're getting China in this year as part of the DX induction, but for the women, there's still Miss Elizabeth, there's a Luna of Vashon, Victoria, even Molly Holly, who is on good terms with the company. Victoria has not appeared for WWE in close to a decade, so I'm not exactly sure why she's been blackballed, seemingly, from WWE. But Molly Holly's appeared on table for three specials. She was on the Women's Evolution special. She was in the Women's Royal Rumble. So I'm not really sure what's holding them back from inducting her anytime soon, but she won a few women's championships. She was kind of revolutionary and ahead of her time when she started with the company in the early 2000s. Um, she was a manager for a time, so I'm not exactly sure why she hasn't been inducted sooner or hasn't been inducted yet. But to induct Tori Wilson ahead of her, to me, feels like a slap in the face. I'd feel offended if I was someone like a Tori Wil- or a, a Molly Holly or a, you know, Luna Vachon's dead, but like, you know what I'm saying, like women of that caliber. So that was a weird decision. This year's class is really shaping up to be an odd one between Tori Wilson, the honky tonk man, who. I mean, should have been in a long time ago, if only for his Intercontinental Championship reign that is still recognized as the longest IC title reign in the history of that title, um, dating back to the 80s, and no one has yet to beat it. I thought The Miz would beat it um, a few years ago. He never did, which was a shame. But um, nonetheless, uh, yeah, like I said, DX, Tory Wilson, and the Honky Tonk Man. Very weird class for the Hall of Fame so far. We'll see who else they add. I know it was rumored the other day that uh, Brutus the Barber Beefcake might be the next uh, induction, which I assume will be made official probably by next week. I think it was that at WrestleVotes account that usually breaks news, and they, you know, they rumored Wilson too, and she ended up getting inducted as well a few days later. So I think, um, 
Uh, Brutus the Barber Beefcake might be in the next on their list. So I guess we'll find out next week. But like I said earlier, very weird class of the Hall of Fame this year. Moving right and along in a Raw from Monday night, a very uh, bland show overall aside from a few key segments. The build for Fastlane, I thought, as a whole, was really not that great. I wasn't looking forward to the show anyway on paper. Yeah, there's a few matches I think that can deliver that could be a lot of fun. Beyond that, though, as I've said ad nauseum over the last number of weeks, months, even years, these pay-per-views between WrestleMania and the Royal Rumble, or rather, should I say the Rumble and WrestleMania, are painfully pointless. There is absolutely, absolutely no need for them. So, I'm not sure what purpose Fastlane is supposed to serve. I don't see much of note happening at this event. I'll talk about my predictions later for the pay-per-view at the end of this episode, but I just... I'm not really sure why we even have a pay-per-view on Sunday. I think a lot of people forgot we even had a pay-per-view on Sunday. But again, um, there's a few matches that could make it worthwhile, but it's hard to build up a pay-per-view that people really don't have much of an interest in seeing anyway because there's no reason for it to be happening. But anyway, to kick off Raw on Monday night, we had Roman Reigns out there addressing his return of the ring last week or you know, him announcing his return of the ring and that is leukemia is in remission. Seth Rollins comes out. They talk about how they're both gunning for the Universal Championship at the moment. And after watching the segment, you would think that there's a decent chance we could get a triple threat at WrestleMania between Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns, and Seth Rollins, a lot like at WrestleMania 31, which is what I wanted to see back at SummerSlam to avoid us seeing another Brock and Roman match for the upteenth time. There is no match involving Brock and Roman I ever want to see again, whether it's one-on-one, a triple threat, a fatal four-way, even a fucking battle royal. I never want to see Brock and Roman in the same ring again. So that's the idea. Hell to the no. And I would hope that they wouldn't have another multi-man match for one of their big WrestleMania matches. I'm pissed enough as that is that they're doing it with Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch, and Ronda Rousey. Charlotte Flair should not be in that match. Roman Reigns should not be involved in the Universal Championship match at WrestleMania. I just got done talking about this last week. If they want to find a quick way to ruin Roman's goodwill with the fans, that would be a, an amazing way to do it. And by amazing, I say, I, I mean, amazingly stupid way to do it is by inserting Roman back into the Universal tri- Championship picture so soon. Now, maybe coming out of WrestleMania, if they do what I think they might by having Dean Ambrose go heel on Reigns and Rollins again, but specifically Roman to set up Roman and Ambrose for WrestleMania... You know what? A Shield triple threat at that post-WrestleMania pay-per-view would be awesome. And it's not like, oh, save it for WrestleMania. Like, first of all, they've already done the match once before. And second of all, even that match wasn't at a WrestleMania or a SummerSlam or even a Big Four pay-per-view. It was fucking a Battleground. The second-to-last ever installment of Battleground of that, too. So a pay-per-view that's not even in existence anymore. They should have saved it for a bigger pay-per-view. They didn't. So it's not like if they do the rematch that it has to be held at WrestleMania. I I would just get it out of the way come April um, at whatever pay-per-view follows WrestleMania. At one point, I heard that Backlash is no longer a thing. I'm not sure how accurate that is. I think when I looked at the pay-per-view schedule um, just recently, I think Backlash is on the schedule. I think it's Backlash... Money in the Bank, which is actually going to be my backyard, literal, not literal, but like very close to me, of Hartford, my backyard of Hartford, which is pretty cool. So I might be going to that. Uh, more more details to come on that soon enough. But um, yeah, Money in the Bank in Hartford in June, or in May rather, June, I think is Extreme Rules. Maybe April's Extreme Rules. I don't remember. I think June is Extreme Rules. July, what was July last year? I think July was Extreme Rules. I, I don't remember. Their schedule is constantly changing. 
I know they're having... Oh, I know the, oh, the, the post-WrestleMania show this year, I think, is the Saudi Arabia show, which is fucking terrible. <coughs> yeah, I think they're going back to Saudi Arabia in early maybe. Maybe they're doing a post-WrestleMania pay-per-view, the Saudi Arabia show, and Money in the Bank. I'm not exactly sure. But anyway, getting back to my original point, if they wanted to do Roman Rollins and Ambrose there for the Universal Championship, that's great. But there's no reason to put Reigns in that Universal title match at WrestleMania. Now, granted, Rollins and Lesnar, the feud as it is, is not lighting the world on fire. We last saw Lesnar the night after the Rumble. He laid out Rollins with like four or five F5s. And that was it. We have not seen the Beast Incarnate since. He wasn't at Elimination Chamber or at Fastlane, which is fine. But they're not even mentioning him at this point. They're showing vignettes for him and talking about, you know, having Heyman and Rollins go back and forth and talking about their feud. But that's about it. There is almost zero excitement or anticipation for Rollins and Lesnar as it is at WrestleMania 35. But that does not mean that they should go ahead and add Rollins into the equation, or rather Reigns into the equation, because they have nothing else for him at WrestleMania. That would be a massive mistake. I would leave the match as is, and as I mentioned earlier, have Reigns face Ambrose at WrestleMania, which was essentially what the remainder of the segment had to do with. So Roman talks about how Ambrose is probably leaving in April. He kind of alludes to it, and how he wants to see the Shield reunite one last time, as a kind of like a last ride for the Shield. Rollins, of course, initially was hesitant, given his bad blood in recent months with Dean Ambrose. It was Ambrose who turned on Rollins, and effectively Roman Reigns too, on the night that Roman Reigns announced that he had cancer. Um, there was never any real falling out between Ambrose and Re Roman, but Ambrose did make a few comments towards Roman in various segments during the Rollins feud. So it wasn't like Ambrose wasn't mad at Roman. He was clearly angry and frustrated and bitter towards him as well. So it wasn't solely fixated on Rollins. Apparently, Roman's willing to forgive that um, after coming close to... I mean, he wasn't close to dying, but you know what I mean? It, maybe maybe his rationale and character is, hey, I had cancer. To me, at this point, I have to appreciate everything and see things for the way they are. Life's too short to get too mad about this bullshit. Let's just put our differences aside and reunite. So Roman, I, I can see in that way, if they said it that way, and maybe they didn't, I missed it. But if that was his rationale, then I understand that. Rollins, of course, hesitant, like I said, to uh, get the band back together. But then he comes around to the idea because he said he's doing it for Roman. Which, whatever, I think that's a really dumb idea. Like, if Roman was still sick and Rollins and Ambrose banded back together to win the Raw Tag Team titles in his, you know, like, honor or whatever, that might make sense. But because Roman's back healthy now and whatever, because Rollins is tight with Roman, he's willing to do him a solid by putting his differences aside with Dean Ambrose and reuniting with him. I think that's a bit strange. But Rollins eventually comes around to the idea. It didn't take long whatsoever. And I hate the fucking rushed build here. I hate the rushed build. This is coming from the same company that spent weeks, if not months, waiting to put Rollins and Ambrose back together after the years that they spent feuding from 2014 to 2017, they finally came back together as partners that summer and won the Raw Tag Team titles together. Um, and that took weeks for them to get back on the same page. These two were heated rivals late last year, earlier this year. But all it took was a matter of hours for Roman to get Rollins and Ambrose back on the same page. This guy's a fucking miracle worker. He might as well take Dr. Phil's job, Jesus Christ. Like, these two were at each, other, at each other's throats for so long, for so... For so many weeks, and within a night, Roman manages to get them back on the same page, bumping fists in the middle of the ring like it's old times. 
Roman Reigns, a fucking miracle worker, man. Great dude outside the ring, I know that, but man, we're talking like WWE's version of, of Dr. Phil here is Roman Reigns. That should be his new gimmick, getting people back together. He's more effective getting people back on the same page than fucking Dr. Shelby. That's probably why we haven't seen Dr. Shelby on WWE TV in some time. Anyway, so that was a solid segment to kick off the show, setting up Dean Ambrose and Elias for later on in the night. I mean, this wasn't where Dean Ambrose said he would reunite with Rollins and Reigns. That came later on. Um, immediately after that segment, that we had a six-man tag team match. Bobby Lashley, Drew McIntyre, and Baron Corbin taking on the trio of the Intercontinental Champion Finn Balor, Braun Strowman, and Kurt Angle. Uh, good match here. Fairly lengthy. Almost the exact same match we got from these six stars right before Fastlane. So, I wasn't all that intrigued or invested because it really wasn't anything new. It was the same thing we saw just, like, three weeks ago. But it was a good match. The heels went over, which was the right move to make, considering that we would, you know, get the announcement later on in the show that it's going to be Lashley, McIntyre, and Corbin versus The Shield at the Fastlane pay-per-view on Sunday. Um, But a good match, though. Natalia came out next to face Ruby Riot, uh, rekindling their rivalry from a mere two months ago. I'm not exactly sure what point this was supposed to serve, aside from just getting Lacey Evans in on the show. So Lacey Evans does her usual shtick afterward. Her music hits, she walks down the ramp, before walking back up the ramp, uh, teased an interaction with Natalia, and that was about it. I like the idea of a Lacey Evans and Natalia feud right off the bat for Lacey Evans. It helps her get established, maybe can pick up a few wins. If that's what this match was designed to do, was to tease an Natalia Lacey Evans feud, that's fine, but the match itself was complete throwaway. They only had a minute or two, really wasn't anything special, noteworthy, or memorable. It was just kind of there, and the Riot Squad continued to look like massive losers. Ruby Riot, Ruby Riot, Ruby Riot, that's a tongue twister sometimes. Ruby Riot specifically deserves so much better. Like, she has since lost to Roman, uh, Roman Reigns, uh, Ronda Rousey, a lot of R's here on this show, Ruby Riot, Roman Reigns, uh, Ronda Rousey, Ruby Riot, Roman Reigns. Try saying that six times fast. Uh, Ruby Riot lost to Ronda Rousey like three times within an eight-day period between Elimination Chamber and two episodes of Raw. And now she's losing to Natalia in a matter of minutes. She is the personification of a loser. There is no, there, there are a few bigger losers on this show than Ruby Riot. I make fun of Braun Strowman for losing the big matches. Ruby Riot can't win the big matches, or even the small ones. She never wins on TV. She always loses. And this was no exception, so that was a waste of time. Then the promo that got everyone talking on social media on Monday night. Triple H addressing Batista and his actions from last week. So Triple H spent some time talking about his friendship and history and background with Ric Flair. Or Richard Fleer, as he called him on the show. Richard Fleer, his real name. So we're breaking the fourth wall now by using real names. That's how you know it's real when they start using their actual names. But he talks about that and he goes on to say that at WrestleMania, Dave, you're not getting the character. You're facing the man. I was just waiting for him to say Paul Levesque. You're not facing Triple H or WrestleMania, Dave. You're facing Paul Levesque. And I did like the fact that he brought up how, you know, it took you two years to finally come back. You've been whining for two years about wanting to face me at WrestleMania. And these are the lengths you go to to get the match. I like that idea a lot. I really do. Just the approach they're taking with this by practically telling you in your face, hey, this shit is fake, but this one promo is real. It's a bit too on the nose for me. I'm not a fan of that. 
We saw that on Twitter a few days earlier with Ronda Rousey. And I like the interaction on Twitter between Ronda Rousey and Becky Lynch. I think their Twitter feuds, their Twitter wars are amazing. Don't get me wrong. But Ronda Rousey saying that Becky Lynch's armbar looked like shit in that. And I, I know people love Becky, but I don't think it would be any different if it was, you know, if someone said that to even John Cena about his SDF looking like shit on, like, Twitter. If, if it's two, like, on-air characters. Like, if Stone Cold Steve Austin criticizes the SDF on his podcast, different story. But if him and John Cena were feuding on TV, going back and forth, that's like if during the Cena and Rock feud, um, if John Cena had accused The Rock and his, ma- and his moves for not being effective at all. Now, I do remember him calling out The Rock for having promo notes on his arm, but that could be you know, attributed to storyline reasons anyway, because even in storyline, everyone needs to know what they want to say. So it's not like it's really breaking the fourth wall there. With Triple H and Batista, I'm not a fan of Triple H saying, oh, you're going to face the man, not the character. So does that mean that everyone else on the show is a character? You know what I mean? So we had it first with that. Then with the Ronda Rousey thing on Twitter saying, oh, you're fake BS armbar. Making it seem like it's not effective, an effective maneuver, which makes it that much worse that she'll likely tap to it at WrestleMania. So she's tapping to it at WrestleMania, but on Twitter she's calling it fake and that it's not effective. I thought that was really strange. And then to top it all off, we had the complete hat trick on um, on Raw this week with those two guys from the Weekend Update from SNL, which, you know, they're funny guys. Glad that we got them on the show. I thought it was a bit weird, though. They had one of them confront Braun Strowman backstage, and their segments were really not that funny at all. I, I, I like them being on the show, but were they really worth going out of your way to see? Not at all. But one of them confronts Braun Strowman backstage, and he goes to Braun, is any of this even real? And then Braun proceeds to take him up by the shirt and pin him up against the wall, which was just ridiculous. So I thought that was stupid. Um, So first you have Ronda calling out Becky Lynch's BS armbar on Twitter, then Triple H talking about characters in his promo, and then this SNL dude questioning whether wrestling, he didn't say the word wrestling, I think that would have put Vince McMahon over the edge, questioning whether all of this is even real. So again, I don't know what they're going for here. I don't know if they hired instead of Bruce Pritchard, Vince Russo as the latest creative writer on the WWE writing team. I don't know what's going on. But to acknowledge that almost everything on the show, that what we're watching is fake and that you're practically an idiot for trying to believe in it or buy into it or suspend your disbelief, to me it's insulting. I hate when they do this shit. And when they do it once in a while, whatever. But when you do it three times within a week, To me, that just seems desperate, that they're desperate for ratings. They're trying everything to get people talking about Raw these days, from bringing up NXT stars, bringing back old stars, bringing back fucking Jeff Jarrett from the 1990s, uh, WrestleMania 11 attire and all, and now getting to the point where they're so desperate that they're flat out acknowledging that everything we see on the show is scripted, fake, and phony. I just, something about that to me doesn't, just, it doesn't feel right. It just doesn't. So, I'm not a fan of it. Maybe you are. I thought it was the wrong approach to take personally. I'm still looking forward to the match, but I hope they scrap this dumb bullshit out going forward. I mean, they can they can always incorporate real-life elements of their backstage history into the feud. I'm not denying that. Like I said earlier, Batista's been saying for years that he wants to go out in WWE by facing Triple H. And they're, they have since incorporated that into the storyline. I think that's great. But to go ahead and say, like, oh, Richard Flair, like his real name. So, have we been calling him by a stage name for all these years? Like, I just, that to me just rings hollow. 
to say the least. So again, it's it's to each their own, I guess. But when you have everyone else in the show talking in character and this one guy talking out of character, and again on occasion, it's a brush, it's it's a breath of fresh air when it's done the right way. Like I don't want to say all of this about Triple H, but CM Punk is exempt because you know he's CM Punk and he's an IWC favorite or whatever people used to say. I don't want to say that, but it feels like they're doing it way more often than they should nowadays. And I'm not sure what purpose it's supposed to serve, aside from getting people talking and whatnot. And even that's not effective. Because they're getting people talking, sure, but not for the right reasons. Moving right along, we had a tag team gauntlet match on Raw this week, with Heavy Machinery beating the B-Team, The Ascension, and Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins. This was a waste of time. I like Heavy Machinery, and they made them look good here, but the match, no one gave two shits about. And it was three teams that no one gives two shits about. The Raw Tag Team Division is in fucking shambles right now. Having them beat three teams, that also mean nothing. Plus a team that has not won a match. <coughs> you know, like Kurt Hawkins, who has not won a match since Trump was inaugurated. It, it doesn't really mean anything for them. The backstage heckling of heavy machinery. What is that even supposed to... Who is that supposed to benefit? It gets them on TV, sure, but... Man, the Raw Tag Team Division sucks. I'm just watching this like, what the fuck happened? And yeah, we have the Raw Tag Team Champions, the Revival, but even they're, lo- even they're losers. I apologize, I almost caught there for a second. Still getting over that sickness from a few weeks ago that uh, caused the short, it caused the show to be run uh, cut short a few weeks ago. But anyway, uh, with Heavy Machinery, like I'm a fan of them and whatnot. I'm glad they're getting television time, but man, this Raw Tag Team Division is really... In the shitter, I mean, SmackDown has it way better. They're not lighting the world on fire either, don't get me wrong. But they have the New Day, the Usos, Miz and Shane for a time. Sanity and the Colognes and Gallows and Anderson are never on TV, but uh, nonetheless, at least they're there if they want to use them. The Bar's another tag team. The Hardy Boys are back. Now Nakamura and Rusev. They have options on SmackDown with a few quality tag teams. On Raw, they have nobody. In any team that could be something... They're doing nothing with or burying them and making them, <coughs> excuse me, making them look like losers. And again, I'm not sure what any of this is supposed to accomplish. So, whatever. Um, this match was just just a complete waste of time. And I like heavy machinery, but this just did nothing for me personally. We have the aforementioned Dean Ambrose and Elias match here. A good match. Elias got over, uh, went over as he should. Ambrose's. Likely on his way out, people are now saying, not just like, oh, behind the scenes, I don't know about any of that, but now fans are speculating that he might be sticking around after all. And that's great. I'm maintaining that he's going to leave, and then he'll go out in the feud of the Roman Reigns. That, to me, makes the most sense. But anyway, um, with Ambrose and Elias, decent match, didn't do much for me, pretty bland, pretty boring, whatever. At least Elias went over, picked up a big win for the first time in a long time. Um, He beat Jeff Jarrett a month ago. Who gives a shit? The guy's been floundering for months after losing to Baron Corbin back-to-back weeks, which was, oh, what a smart move that was to build up Baron Corbin. That, again, what just a waste of effort in my opinion, but nonetheless. Um, so we had that. Um, out came Drew McIntyre, Bobby Lashley, um, Baron Corbin, speaking of the devil. So they all came out to beat up on Dean Ambrose. And Roman Reigns and uh, Seth Rollins, or they came up to beat on Roman and, and Rollins. Ambrose had since walked out into the audience. Ambrose returns, lays a beating on the heels, ultimately reunites after some initial initial hesitation, uh, bumps fists with Rollins and Reigns. The Shield is back together 
at long last. And by long last, I mean for the first time in four or five months. So each Shield reunion means a little less than the last because we've seen it now three or four times. Um, but I think it's all a ruse. Like I said earlier, I'll talk about my fast lane predictions at the end of the episode. But I'm of the belief that the Shield is only back together for a few days. And Ambrose, after um, you know showing signs of becoming a babyface again and wanting to forgive Rollins and Reigns for whatever reason he turned on them in the first place, we never quite found out. Um, he's going to go right back to being a heel, turn on these guys, be the ultimate asshole on his way out of the company. And that's going to heat up Ambrose again as a heel, give us a, a Roman-Ambrose match at WrestleMania. And again, I think that'd be the perfect way to write out Ambrose from the storylines, giving us the one feud that we really never got to see with Ambrose. Like, of all the potential feuds that we could see with Dean Ambrose, that was really the one I wanted to see more than any other. Aside from maybe one with John Cena a few years ago, but... Roman and Ambrose, we never got the chance to see. We could come WrestleMania, and if it's not Dean Ambrose, who else do you have Roman Reigns face? The guy's back. They likely were not planning on that, which is why they don't have any obvious opponent for him in mind for WrestleMania. They've already made plans with other people. Rollins is probably the biggest beneficiary of that, because if Roman was cleared months ago, had or even if Roman was never sick, I don't. I honestly do not think we'd be looking at Seth Rollins right now as the number one contender to the Universal Championship. So that match is already set in stone, and assuming they don't add Roman Reigns to that match, which they shouldn't, which like I said earlier would be a massive mistake if they did go ahead and do that, I know Baron Corbin's been rumored, I think that's just not a good enough WrestleMania-worthy match, they did it on Raw a few months ago, it sucked then, it would suck at WrestleMania, what a toilet break that would be. Uh, Roman Reigns and McIntyre could work, it's a fresh match, I don't know if we've ever seen it one-on-one before. So that could work um, with nothing on the line. I don't know if it would really be all that compelling of a match. I just think with Ambrose and Reigns, it makes sense because they have the built-in history. Ambrose, there's no reason for the Shield to be reuniting anyway. When you really think about it, it makes very little sense considering Ambrose turned on them for a reason back in the fall because he felt overshadowed. He felt being you know taken advantage of, all these other things. Now the spotlight is solely back in Roman Reigns now that he's returned. I could see Ambrose being frustrated with that, wanting to play the long game, uh, you know, teasing, not wanting to get back with the Shield, and then getting back together with the Shield, only to cost them in the end. So we get a Shield reunion, but for one night only, before Ambrose goes back to being a heel, and he faces Roman at WrestleMania. That's what I wouldn't want to see. I don't know if that's the plan come Fastlane, because if they remain buddy-buddy, Ambrose will likely end up on the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. Mark my words. Also on this episode, we had Tamina taking on Sasha Banks in one-on-one action to help hype up the WWE Women's Tag Team title match for Fastlane. Tamina won in about a minute or so. Something about that statement just feels so wrong to me. Tamina beating Sasha Banks in one-on-one action, but they had to build momentum for the uh, Samoan SWAT team somehow because they've been losing left and right for weeks now, so they had to win a match. Unfortunately, it had to be at the expense of Sasha Banks with Tamina doing the... uh, or Sasha Banks doing the job for Tamina, but nonetheless, uh, I, I guess it made sense. We had a Raw Tag Team title match on Monday with the Revival taking on Aleister Black and Ricochet. Pretty good match while it lasted. And then on the finish, people had a, a big issue with because Chad Gable and Bobby Roode came out. I don't know really what purpose this was supposed to serve, but they came out, beat up the Revival, costing the Revival the match and Aleister Black and Ricochet the tag team title. So it was essentially a lose-lose for everybody. 
And then uh, Rude and Gable, and you know they started brawling with Ricochet and, and Black, so, thus setting up a triple threat tag team title match for Fastlane on Sunday. Um, the Raw tag team division, like I said earlier, needs all the help it can get. I like Rude and Gable. The Revival are glorified losers at this point. Black and Ricochet are really the soul-saving grace for this division. And even they should not be long for the Raw tag team division. They should be on their own, coming out of WrestleMania, doing their own thing, whether it be both on Raw, both on SmackDown, or one on each brand. They really should escape this division while they still can. They should not be pigeonholed as tag team competitors the same way that Bobby Roode and Chad Gable have been. Uh, The match was good, and I'm looking forward to the match on Sunday. But uh, I'm, I'm still skeptical they know what they're doing with Black and Ricochet. If nothing else, at least they're winning um, in most of their main roster matches. Then the main event segment, uh, try this one on first size. So earlier on in the evening, before I even get to that main event segment, we had Stephanie McMahon saying to, uh, I think it was one of the interviewers backstage, I forgot who it was, maybe it was Kayla Braxton, I don't remember. But she said to the interviewer that after the events of the last couple of weeks, that Becky Lynch's arrest, or all the charges against Becky have since been lifted, and Becky's suspension has since been lifted as well. Uh, The charges are gone, and there's no more suspension. The suspension is over. Now, Becky Lynch will have an opportunity, and this is before we found out what we did in the main event, but Stephanie said Becky and Charlotte will have the opportunity to fight for the vacant Raw Women's Championship because after her actions the week before, Ronda Rousey had been effectively stripped of the Raw Women's title. So Sasha Banks, or Sasha, Stephanie says, rather, still looking at the Sasha Tamina headline here in my article, my in my notes, um, Stephanie says that at Fastlane it will be Becky and Charlotte one-on-one for the Raw Women's Championship. How much sense does that make? So two SmackDown Live women fighting for the Raw Women's title, which was already guaranteed which Becky Lynch was already guaranteed a shot at at WrestleMania by virtue of winning the Royal Rumble. Ronda Rousey comes out during the main event segment to say that I did not vacate the Raw Women's Championship, which Stephanie honors, and instead it will be Charlotte and Becky on Sunday, though the stipulation now is that if Becky can beat Charlotte, she will be added to the Raw Women's Championship match at WrestleMania, completely disregarding the fact, as I just said, that Becky won the Royal Rumble back in January, which was supposed to earn her an opportunity at the Raw Women's Championship at WrestleMania. Apparently, that has since been thrown out the window. Now, as I was telling someone the other day, or someone was telling me, rather, they were pitching this idea that maybe their their logic could be, and they have yet to say this in storyline, as far as I know, that Becky Lynch was never technically supposed to be a part of the Rumble, so therefore her win doesn't count. She has to fight to earn her spot in the match. That would actually make sense, but they have yet to say that on television. Instead, they've overcomplicated this entire thing, and I'm not even sure where we currently stand in this storyline with Ronda Rousey, Becky Lynch, and Charlotte Flair. Then Ronda went on to turn heel. After Charlotte went heel, became a full-fledged steal a few months ago, now Ronda Rousey's a heel, and she was attacking, you know, she punched Charlotte, went after Becky Lynch, beat the crap out of her on Monday, you know, cut this heel promo that felt overly scripted, but I really do think going as a heel is the best possible character for Ronda Rousey right now. She's a genuinely likable person, but at the same time, um, her character has every reason to not want to uh, be endeared by the audience, not want to be cheered considering that she came in for the money, she's doing it for herself, blah, 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 and she's pissed off with fans booing her. Um, I figured they would try to keep her face, try to force it, a lot like with Roman Reigns, and they tried to do that a few times. Ronda, they just gave up and turned her heel. So at least they know that Becky is the A number one babyface for the women right now. 
on both Raw and SmackDown, and they'll likely culminate this by having her win the championship at WrestleMania. At least I hope so. Uh, obviously, Becky's winning on Sunday. I'll talk more about that in my predictions for Fastlane coming up. But, um, yeah, so that that's what happened at the end of Raw, and the entire angle is just a, a, such a mess. It's such a massive mess right now, and it's so hard to follow, so hard to keep up with. I don't know where things stand, and any interest I had in that Ronda Rousey-Becky Lynch match, not to say that it, it's been completely... Um, yeah, you know, erased since the Royal Rumble when the match was first set up coming out of that pay-per-view. But they really have not done a great job of maintaining my interest level in that match by adding in Charlotte, getting the authority figures involved, which was completely unnecessary, um, arresting Becky, suspending Becky, unsuspending her, suspending her again, unsuspending her for a second time. Again, it's so tough to follow, especially for those that don't watch the weekly program and don't know what the hell's going on. I can only imagine how those fans feel. Would following all this want to make them want to see the WrestleMania match with Ronda, Charlotte, and Becky? I would say no. So again, we'll see how things shake out in the next month. Hopefully after Fastlane, we can finally get the match set in stone for the pay-per-view. Becky, Ronda, Becky, or Becky, Ronda, Charlotte. And it really should be one-on-one. I'm done beating a dead horse here with that. It's obviously going to be a triple threat. They'll make the most out of it. They'll kill it in the main event of WrestleMania. But uh, the bottom line is that WWE has done itself no favors by making this storyline out to be a way bigger mess than it needed to be. But that was Raw on Monday Night SmackDown. I thought it was a better show, albeit a bit uneventful, aside from one moment, which we'll talk about momentarily. Uh, we kicked off the show with Kevin Owens interrupting Daniel Bryan, setting up Owens and Eric Rowan for later on in the night. Um, and it was interesting, too. Daniel Bryan said Kevin Owens had no friends. So I know Mustafa Ali ended up returning later on in the show, which was cool to see him back. He's only been out for about three or four weeks. He was taken out in storyline by Rowan, so they played that up when he came out to save Owens from uh, Brian and Rowan. He came out to save Owens from Brian and, and, and Rowan, Owens, Brian, Ali. It's very confusing. But um, So they played that up. Maybe that's what that line was meant for. Maybe that's why that line was there, to signify that, oh, Ali... Or Owens has an ally as an ally in Ali. Owens has an ally in Ali. Another tongue twister. Maybe that's what that was meant for. I took it as maybe they're foreshadowing the return of Sami Zayn, who has since been cleared to compete as far as I know, per PW Insider. He could be back as soon as Sunday. So more on that in my Fastlane predictions coming up. Elsewhere on this show, The Miz beat uh, SmackDown Tag Team Champion Jay Uso in one-on-one action. Fine match. Uh, for the United States Championship, R-Truth had another open challenge. Quoting John Cena, doing it for his hero, the champ that runs the camp. Um, so R-Truth comes out. The open challenge answered by one Samoa Joe and Rey Mysterio and Andrade. So unlike last week where it was two people answering the open challenge, this week it was three people. So we had the same match we had last week with Truth, Mysterio, and Andrade. Except this time they threw Samoa Joe into the mix. So it was a very fun four-way, a lot like last week's triple threat. It was a lot of fun as well. Um, this was a very, very good match. Enjoyed the action from start to finish. In the end, it was Samoa Joe picking up the victory and becoming the new United States champion. His first taste of gold in WWE, which I thought was awesome. Uh, Joe winning gold has been long overdue. He really should have been a world champion, you know, years ago in WWE. He spent uh, a little too long in NXT, but, you know, nonetheless, it was a good run there. And um, then he went to Raw, and he had a good run there, moved to SmackDown, has yet to win any gold on the blue brand, except for now. And he's had multiple opportunities at the Universal Championship, at the WWE Championship, could never get the job done. Um, <coughs> excuse me. It's not exactly the WWE title. At least he has 
a piece of gold in some form or fashion on SmackDown. Granted, it's a meaningless prop at this point. Truth was doing a good job as the champion. Prior to that, though, he was never on TV. Before that, Nakamura and Rusev were champions. No one gave two shits about them as United States champion. So again, I don't know if I have high hopes for Samoa Joe's United States champion, but I will say this. At least putting the belt on Joe ensures that he will get a match at WrestleMania. I would hope so, anyway. I would, I would hope they don't put him in the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. Um, even if it's on the kickoff show, I hope Joe gets a match at WrestleMania. And I think the perfect opponent for him, as I said on hashtag Ask You Someone Wednesday, would be John Cena. I think John Cena makes the most sense out of anybody. Aside from maybe Mustafa Ali, who Joe has unfinished business with from prior to the Elimination Chamber from when Ali first got hurt um, about a month ago. So they can go in that, down that route if they wanted to, if they have no plans for Cena at WrestleMania, and he doesn't end up wrestling at the show. I do think Joe and John makes the most sense because they've never faced off before one-on-one. They have built-in history from decades ago. Uh, <coughs> also, too, R-Truth has been you know, quoting his hero, John Cena, on SmackDown for the last week or two. So it would make sense for Joe to come on out, beat up R-Truth, um, and then John Cena makes the save, thus setting up that match for WrestleMania. Joe is also trash-talking John Cena backstage on SmackDown Live this week. So all the... There, there is every reason to do that match at WrestleMania. That, to me, feels like a WrestleMania-worthy match for John Cena. I've been saying for years now that if there's any one opponent I want to see Cena mix it up with, aside from AJ Styles, which ended up happening a few years ago, it's Samoa Joe. And granted, Joe doesn't mean as much as he once did because he's been beat like a drum so many goddamn times, but I do think Joe and John would be a quality WrestleMania match. It puts the WrestleMania, or rather the United States Championship, in a prime position on that show, and uh, gives Joe his first WrestleMania match, and a marquee match at that. For whatever reason, he was left off WrestleMania 33. I'm still trying to figure that one out. Um, But he was hurt last year for WrestleMania 34. He actually returned the night after on Raw, which sucked for him, but at least, you know, he he returned soon after the event. Um, Third time's the charm, WrestleMania 35 is the night. I think Joe walks into WrestleMania as United States champion. Whether he walks out with the championship remains to be seen. Um, I think, <coughs> excuse me, I think it would make the most sense to have Joe retain just because John is not a full-time performer anymore and it would be a huge win for Samoa Joe to help to help get him back on track and, you know, uh, validate the United States Championship as a prestigious prize again. That's what I would do. Whether they actually go down that route remains to be seen, but either way, regardless of the result, we'll deal with that when we get to it. Joe and John Cena is the match I want to see for the United States Championship at WrestleMania. Also on the show, Aleister Black and Ricochet teamed up to take on The Bar, emerge victorious. We had the Hardy Boys come out afterwards to help fend off Nakamura, Rusev, and The Bar. So seemingly setting up a future eight-man tag team match, probably for next week's SmackDown. Mandy Rose beating familiar foe Naomi in a matter of a minute. And I'm glad Mandy Rose has momentum ahead of the uh, pay-per-view on Sunday. But this was just a complete waste of time. I felt like the Divas division was back. That's how pointless that match was. Owens and Rowan had a match. I talked about that earlier and how Ali came out to save Owens and I feel like it might be planting the seeds for a Sami Zayn return on Sunday. Uh, We'll see. But yeah, Owens and Rowan was over within two minutes. Nothing special there. And then the main event saw Becky attack Charlotte, thus, you know, hyping up their fast lane encounter for Sunday. So overall, a solid, albeit unspectacular edition of SmackDown. Not nearly as good as the week before. And before I get to my fast lane prediction for Sunday, real Quick thoughts, my quick two cents on 205 Live from Tuesday night and NXT from Wednesday. So 205 Live, we have this WWE Cruiserweight Championship number one contenders tournament with the winner facing Buddy Murphy for the Cruiserweight title at WrestleMania. Last week we saw 
Tony Nese advance and Drew Gulak advance. This week it was Oni Lorcan from NXT beating Humberto Carrillo to advance to the semifinals, which I was not expecting at all, to be honest with you. I really thought Carrillo was not only winning here, but winning the whole thing. And I like Carrillo, but he's done nothing for me since he... He's a very good wrestler, don't get me wrong. But as a character, just the interest isn't there right now. It, it's just not. He just does not feel like a compelling enough challenger to me for Buddy Murphy at WrestleMania. Um, so I'm, I'm honestly kind of glad he lost. I don't know if Lorcan's going to be beating Cedric Alexander, who won the other match on the show, which was a great match, well worth seeking out. Alexander beating Tozawa to advance to the semifinals. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't know if Lorcan's going to be able to overcome um, Alexander on next week's show, but it's going to be fun to find out. That match should be amazing. So we have Drew Gulak and Tony Nese on next week's show in a rematch from last year's tournament. I think Nice is winning that one. And then it's going to be Lorcan and Alexander. Uh, one-on-one in the semifinals of the tournament. I don't think Alexander... I mean, the thing with Alexander I, is that he's a good... He's a great wrestler. I love Alexander. I think he should be main roster bound, like headed for either Raw or SmackDown um, coming out of WrestleMania. There's no reason for him to face Buddy Murphy again at WrestleMania. We've seen it a number of times. There's no reason to do that match again. Uh, we saw the big rematch at TLC. There's no reason to do that match again. So... Why have Alexander advance all the way to the finals if we know he's going to lose? Likely to Tony Nese. And Nese is a great wrestler. It would make sense if you face Buddy Murphy considering their history together. But, and they're in there, you know, it, it's in Nice's native New York or New Jersey, whatever, that general vicinity. But it's still two heels. So I don't know if there's much interest in a Murphy-Nese match. But anyway, um, what my point is, is that I think Lorcan, even though he is a glorified tag team guy in NXT, at least him winning would be a bit more unpredictable for the finals. Like, there's still a better chance of Lorcan winning than Alexander winning this whole thing and going out of WrestleMania. So, <coughs> Lorcan just simply might be playing the role that Roderick Strong did last year, where he advances past the um, opening round, only to make it to the uh, semifinals, quarterfinals, whatever it was, before losing. But nonetheless, um, this was a great match between Alexander and Tozawa. Looking forward to Alexander and Lorcan next week, as well as Nice and Drew Gulak. And that brings us to NXT on Wednesday. So like I said earlier, this was taped well before Ciampa had to undergo neck surgery, so he was in the main event of the show. But prior to that, we had three other Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic quarterfinal matches. First, with Aleister Black and Ricochet beating Fabian Eichner and Marcel Bartel. Fantastic match. Black and Ricochet, although their recent partnership on... Uh, the main roster has felt a bit random. I always thought it was a good idea because it, you know, it, it helped give them more exposure on a bigger stage ahead of them competing in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. They could have end up winning this whole thing and going on a takeover to face the War Raiders for the NXT Tag Team Titles. But um, yeah, this was an excellent match. Eichner and Bartel are fan, just fantastic athletes. They're a lot of fun to watch in NXT as well as NXT UK. So I'm glad they're getting some exposure here too. But yeah, fantastic match. Black and Ricochet uh, advanced to the next round. Forgotten Sons beating the aforementioned Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch in another quarterfinal match. Easily the best Forgotten Sons match I've seen them have yet. This was uh, a lot of fun, a great pace, good intensity, and um, I can't say the right result. I would have rather seen Lorcan and Burch go over. The Forgotten Sons just do nothing for me, but at least they had a solid showing here. Uh, before the other two quarterfinal matches, we had Matt Riddle interrupting the Velveteen Dream, the new NXT North American champion, with Riddle essentially announcing his intentions to target the NXT North American championship heading into TakeOver. So if a Riddle Dream match is what we're getting at TakeOver, and maybe Cole and spliced in as well 
after what was teased on last week's show. Hey, a three-way between those guys, I'm all for it. I think a three-way Riddle-Cole dream match for that championship would be a show-stealing performance come TakeOver New York. In the third quarterfinal match in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic, we had Mustache Mountain toppling the Street Profits. Another awesome outing here. Kind of disappointed the Street Profits lost so early in the bracket. I really thought they would win the whole thing. So the fact that they not only didn't win the whole thing, but rather lost in the first round was kind of disappointing. Um, at least they had a great match, though. This was a really, really good, entertaining outing. Mustache Mountain, one of the best tag teams in the world right now. And the Street Profits, when the time is right, they can always amp it up and put forth a excellent effort as well. So, really enjoyed that match. Then, of course, in the main event, DIY back in rare form here. Theme song and all. Um, Tommaso Ciampa, Johnny Gargano teaming up to take on the Undisputed Eras, Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish. Merging victorious here. This was a fantastic match. Easily the be- <coughs> excuse me the best match all week, and I can't really say easily because we had a few other really good matches in Alexander and Tozawa, the U.S. title four away from SmackDown, and even Ricochet and Black versus Eichner and Bartel earlier on in the same show. So it's it's up in the air as to which match you think is the best. Personally, I thought this was the best bout of the weekend WWE TV. It was that good. But yeah, DIY going on to the semifinals, and we'll face Black and Ricochet on next week's episode to determine who will make it to the finals of the tournament to face the War Raiders for the NXT Tag Team titles at TakeOver New York. So that was NXT. Real quick before we go off the air here, I'm going to wrap it up with my Fastlane predictions. I know we're going over the hour mark, but um, I'm not going to spend too long talking about this pay-per-view just because it's a fairly predictable show. I'm not going to really give out any bold predictions here that you haven't heard before, but I'll do my best to uh, give my preview and pick for each match on the advertised car so far but uh on the kickoff show Rey Mysterio and Nan Andrade uh in the hopefully the culmination of their feud I, I can't say hopefully because I would love to see the feud continue through Wrestlemania uh culminating in a big opening match on the grand stage these two going at it odds are though if there's nothing on the line and neither guy is United States champion by that point then that match is probably not going to happen this isn't WrestleMania 21, where the show opened with Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero, which was terrific. Then there was a story in place there. To an extent, they were tag team champions at the time, and they decided to fight each other because they kind of had a lack of opponents at that point. But um, I, I don't see that happening. I think it's more likely we see Mysterio and Andrade in a multi-man match at some point at WrestleMania. Hopefully not the Battle Royal. But their match on Sunday should be great nonetheless. Definitely an incentive to check out the kickoff show for once. So it's not the Cruiserweights for a change, which was refreshing, but the match should be great. It really doesn't matter who wins. Uh, Andrade holds multiple victories over Rey Mysterio. He actually beat Rey Mysterio as recently as a few months ago, right before the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. So um, I think he'd be an ideal person to go over in this situation, just because he has way more to gain. Um, He's the younger star with Rey Mysterio. The guy's been there, done that. He's still over. He can afford losing. He could absorb the loss and not see his popularity like uh, decrease whatsoever. So I would have Andrade win. Rey Mysterio winning is not the end of the world. Um, He needs a big win every now and again too, but uh, my current pick is Andrade. Triple threat tag team title match for the Raw Tag Team Championship. The Revival taking on two teams and Aleister Black and Ricochet and the duo of Chad Gable and Bobby Roode. Um, I think DIY was supposed to be involved in this before Ciampa went down with a neck injury, so would have been an even better match with those guys involved, but it should still be a great match nonetheless on paper. Um, from an in-ring standpoint. 
Black and Ricochet have been killing it since arriving on the main roster. There's just no reason to rush into them becoming Raw Tag Team Champions, especially while they're still in NXT in a part of the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. So I don't think they're winning here, and I think it's good they have Gable and Rude involved because not only does it make it a better match, but either Rude or Gable can take the losing fall. So Black or Ricochet don't have to lose for their team and don't have to um, you know, lose any momentum. So I think that's a smart decision. And the Revival can finally... Um, you know, win decisively. They have not won a match since they became the Raw Tag Team Champions three or four weeks ago, which is, you know, crazy to believe, but it's the truth. Um, so despite becoming Tag Team Champions, they're still losers. But I think that changes Sunday, and they hold on to the Raw Tag Team titles. For the SmackDown Women's Championship, Asuka defending against Mandy Rose. Uh, Mandy is merely a filler opponent for Asuka at this pay-per-view. Rose winning would be the shocker of the century. And I like Mandy Rose. I think she's made strides on SmackDown since she and Sonya broke off on their own after Paige retired about a year ago. I think that's great. There's no reason to put the belt on her at this point. Um, Asuka going into WrestleMania is the safe choice as the SmackDown Women's Champion. And I hate to say this, and it, she's really not that much better than Rose, if if much better at all. But I do think Lacey Evans is getting the shot at WrestleMania because no one else really makes as much sense. We've seen Lacey Evans appear in both Raw and SmackDown consistently for weeks now. Um, so I think that's got to be leading somewhere, and I would assume it's going to be a SmackDown Women's Championship match at WrestleMania. And maybe Lacey Evans wins in her first ever one-on-one -on -one match on the main roster, so I wouldn't put it past them. Uh, it's not like Asuka's lighting the world on fire as champion anyway, so why the hell not? That's a good way to make a star right out of the get-go, but I do think Asuka goes over on Sunday and retains her championship. For the SmackDown Tag Team titles, we have the Usos taken on The Miz and Shane McMahon in a rematch from the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. McMiz, uh, that tag team of The Miz and Shane have been very fun since they first formed a few months ago. They've been a breath of fresh air in the SmackDown tag team division. Obviously, they were never long for that division. Uh, they will be in Miz's hometown of Cleveland, which to me screams that Miz is going heel in his own hometown. It's, it's supposed to be a swerve. You're supposed to think, oh, Shane's going to go heel after Miz cost his team the tag titles the first time. He was the one who got pinned back at the Elimination Chamber. Uh, I, I just can't see them turning Shane heel. I would argue, oh, you can't have a heel Shane while the other babyface authority figures are still faces. But Vince McMahon isn't a face, apparently, so why the hell would it matter if Shane's a heel? I would turn Shane heel. I would switch it up, do something new, do the unpredictable, and uh, maybe you can turn Miz back into a heel after WrestleMania if you want. I just think he's getting over as a face, and I wouldn't ruin that. But him going back to being a heel isn't the end of the world either. I think he would kill in that role regardless. But uh, yeah, I do think the Usos are retaining here, as they should. Uh, keep the championships on them before they vie, or defend against, rather, um, the Hardy Boys on the grand stage. I think that's a WrestleMania match waiting to happen. It just writes itself. And with Miz and Shane, they're obviously destined to go one-on-one -on -one at WrestleMania. So we could see the beginning of the end for the tag team here, whether... I think Miz turning heel in his hometown makes more sense than waiting until SmackDown. And we only have a month until WrestleMania anyway. So the sooner the split comes, the more time they have to build up their bout for WrestleMania. So I think they lose, and then Miz goes heel afterwards, or even during the match. After that, for the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship, the Boston Hell Connections, Bailey and Sasha Banks taking on Nia Jax and Tamina. This, to me, seems like a slam dunk. Banks and Bailey go over. No reason to take the titles off them three weeks after they became the first ever champions. Not to mention that Nia Jax and Tamina suck. Um... Who do you then have Banks and Bailey face at WrestleMania? Well, I said it a few weeks ago, but Trish Stratus and Lita, to me, make the most sense. If not, the Bellas wins. Um, beyond that, there's not many other opponents from the main roster I would like to see face Banks and Bailey at WrestleMania. 
aside from maybe the Sky Pirates, Io Shirai and Kairi Sane. I assume Shirai is getting the title shot at TakeOver New York for the NXT Women's Championship, so if that was the case, she'd have to pull double duty, but it's hard to get people familiar with those two within a month, unless it's happening at a TakeOver, which would be cool. TakeOver Brooklyn would be awesome, but again, I think Shirai's getting a title shot at TakeOver New York, so that's not happening, but um, there just is not enough time to introduce those two women and, and get them over with the audience before WrestleMania. <coughs> Excuse me. So um, I think it's a better, I, I think it's more likely Banks and Bailey defend against the duo of Trish and Lita instead, or the Bella Twins. Any other team, the Riot Squad, losers. The Iconics, never on TV. Mandy and Sonya, maybe, but even that doesn't really feel like a WrestleMania match, WrestleMania-worthy match. Um, what other teams do we even <coughs> do we even have? I don't remember. Um, Mickey James and Alexa Bliss, like who cares? So again, I hope it's Trish and Lita stepping up to the plate at WrestleMania to, to go for the gold, and obviously they would lose, but coming out of WrestleMania, I hope to see more women's tag teams built up that actually mean something, that have a real shot of taking those belts from Banks and Bailey. But they're still early on in the reign. There's a lot more they can do with the championships. There is absolutely no reason for them to drop the belts on Sunday. We get to our top three matches here, the Shield, uh, Ambrose, Roman, and Rollins, taking on Baron Corbin, Drew McIntyre, and Bobby Lashley in a six-man tag team match. As I said during my Raw review, I do think Ambrose is going heel again. It's really the only way. It, it, it's really the only way to make any sense out of the Shield reunion. So I would do that. Um, have Dean Ambrose go heel, setting up Ambrose and Roman for WrestleMania. Rollins can focus on the Universal Championship match. He doesn't have to get pinned. It can be Ambrose losing and then turning on Roman. It, it's really whatever they want to do. Um, Roman is, is, you know, he's bulletproof. He's he's going for the Universal Title WrestleMania. So it doesn't matter what happens here. It's like when John Cena was a part of that. Uh, ironically enough, the Shield six-man tag team match at Elimination Chamber 2013. He, Ryback, and Sheamus lost, but he went on to face The Rock for the WWE title anyway at WrestleMania, so it hardly mattered, but whatever. I do think the heels win here. I don't know what you do with Corbin, McIntyre, and Lashley. I do think Lashley's getting another shot at the Intercontinental Championship soon. Beyond that, I, I maybe a Strowman-Drew McIntyre match. They have unfinished business. Corbin, I have no interest to see in any real marquee match at WrestleMania. Uh, then we get to Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch. Obviously, Becky's winning. Becky, with her win, will earn her spot back in the WrestleMania main event. Uh, in the WrestleMania main event with Ronda Rousey and Charlotte for the Raw Women's Championship, which she should have never been booted from in the first place by virtue of winning the Royal Rumble. But I digress. I talked about that and ranted about it earlier in my Raw review, so I'll keep it to a minimum here. But obviously, Becky's winning in that match. Then the WWE Championship match. I, I could see Charlotte and Becky going off the air last, but it's so predictable. I would rather them end with Brian and Owens. And God forbid they've ended with so many, um, you know, universal title matches over the past year or years, rather, and so many other Raw matches that I think the WWE title deserves to close out at least a few pay-per-views before we get a full-time universal champion again. So hopefully this match closes the show. And it can be a real good match, too. Daniel Bryan, Kevin Owens. I don't think they've had a single one-on-one -on -one match since, um, yeah, in, in WWE. Because when Owens first got called up to the main roster, Brian was hurt, and he retired the following February. And then when Brian came back, they had that tag team match at WrestleMania last year, but then Owens and Zayn went to Raw. So they never had that singles match. So this is it. So I'm looking at, I'm actually looking forward to the match. It should be good from an in-ring standpoint, and Owens has been a very compelling babyface so far. But nonetheless, uh, it's way too... It would, it would be way too premature to take that championship off of Brian so close to WrestleMania. That'd be as dumb of a decision as they can do. 
Although it would be cool to see Owens as champion, it's just not happening. And that shot should go to Kofi Kingston. It should be Brian and Kofi, one-on-one, WrestleMania. No multi-man bullshit with Brian Owens, uh, Ali, and Kingston. Just just make it Brian and Kofi. That's the real story to be told. I never thought I would say that a year ago, six months ago, even two months ago. I never thought I would say Brian and Kofi make that the WrestleMania match. Uh, that just... It sounds unreal to me just saying it out loud, but it's the story that makes the most sense, so I don't see why not. Um, and then with Owens, as I said earlier during my SmackDown review, I think Sami Zayn comes back and costs him the WWE Championship because, so like I said, assuming Owens loses here, what else do you do with him at WrestleMania if he doesn't go back for the belt on that show? It shouldn't be a multi-man match. We already have a multi-person match with the women's match, with Rousey, Charlotte, and Lynch. I don't want to see Owens involved in a three-way or a four-way for that championship in Mania. So, what else do you do? Does he go after the U.S. title, face him up with Joe? What do you do? I think Sami Zayn coming back to cost Kevin Owens the belt makes a lot of sense. Because um, I know Brian planted that seed about Owens not having any friends recently, so maybe Zayn comes out to appear to look like he's going to cost Owens or help him win, and then he turns on him in the end. And we've seen Owens betray Zayn, and now it's it should be the other way around. And it's going to be weird to see Zayn as a heel and Owens as a babyface, but I think it could work. And obviously their in-ring chemistry speaks for itself. And uh, they would work well together, and um, I just think it would be a great great match to do at WrestleMania. We did not get that one-on-one match between the two two years ago, or three years ago at WrestleMania 32. We didn't get it last year when they teamed up. I think third time's the charm. I think we get Owens and Zayn one-on-one at WrestleMania, even if it's like a show opening match or even on the fucking kickoff show. I see no better match for Owens to be a part of at WrestleMania, Sami Zayn too, than a one-on-one match between those guys. And those are my predictions for Fastlane on Sunday. Looking forward to the show. Should be a solid show. I still say these, you know, midway pay-per-views for WWE before WrestleMania are totally pointless and meaningless, but nonetheless, they shoot... They, they, they sometimes feature a few notable and memorable moments here and there. So hopefully this pay-per-view delivers at least one or two matches that are worth going back to check out. Like the Elimination Chamber. Overall, really wasn't that great of a show, but the two Chamber matches I thought were great. So hopefully there's at least one or two matches on this show that make it worthwhile. So guys, that does it for Wrestle Rant Radio this week. We'll be back next Thursday with full review of the Fastlane pay-per-view from this coming Sunday. Till then, guys, check me out on the socials on Twitter at WrestleRant, on Facebook at Facebook.com backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews, on YouTube as well, YouTube.com backslash C backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews, and of course, new episodes of Wrestle Rant Radio every single Thursday, not only on NextRSN.net, but also on iTunes. Simply search up Wrestle Rant Radio on the Apple Podcast app. You'll get every new show on Thursdays, in addition, every archived episode dating back to October of 2013. Over five years of content, five years worth of content. Subscribe today. You get easy access to every single episode at the luxury, at the leisure, at, at your leisure, at just the, you know, it's easy. It's easy. Right at your fingertips. Check out every episode of WrestleRant Radio. That would take forever to listen to every single one, but uh, pick and choose your favorite ones. There's a lot of gems in there. So uh, looking forward to WrestleMania in a mere month from today. It's going to be a fun rest of the road to WrestleMania. Till next week, guys, I'm Graham G.S. and Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road. Oh, the